And I think there's a huge need for that right now across every industry because we've gotten to the point where you have so many people building out reviews that are just doing it for the money and not because they genuinely love the trade and the niche that people really want to connect with reviewers who are honest about their shit, you know, like honest about how this product's going to perform, how it's going to excel, how it's going to fall short, et cetera. And I think that's what's helped that fit friend grow is a dire need, I think, in the review space for honesty. Welcome to the Zero Quit Podcast, where we bring you inside the minds of elite athletes, business owners, specialists, and other creatives. I'm your host, Brock Covington, and through these conversations, you'll hear practical advice and effective strategies for optimizing not only your performance, but also your habits and routines as well. If you enjoy the show, be sure to subscribe and share it with a friend. What's going on, guys? Today, I have on the podcast Jake Boley. He's a certified training and conditioning specialist, a coach, and founder of That Fit Friend, where he reviews a wide variety of training shoes and lifting gear. How you doing, man? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. Of course. It's good to you know, reconnect. It's been, like I mentioned, a year since we were last in uh, Colorado. Before we moved here, we were checking out the area, and luckily, I was able to connect with you one of our last few days we were in town. Went on a little hike, and uh, it's good to like a year from now reconnect because a lot's changing, you know, your life, a lot's changing my life. So, uh, yeah, yeah, I remember that hike because we forgot to tell you guys to like bring some form of boot with tread or like some spikes, and so we were hiking up that little. It was a short hike, granted, <laughs> it but was it was a like short hike, it was pretty was icy, and, snow, and yeah. Uh, yeah, we were slipping and sliding everywhere. Uh, yeah. It, it... I was telling you even like the last time I came up to Denver for the podcast, I was like wearing like Crocs because I figured it wouldn't be in much snow. But we've quickly uh, gotten used to the, the climate of Colorado. And for a while, we weren't seeing that much snow in Colorado Springs. You you guys would get snow more regularly and we'd kind of get like the little like after effects of it, the little breadcrumbs in a sense. And But but the past few weeks, especially specifically today, it's four weeks in a row, it snowed decently hard the day before my long runs. So like this morning I got out there, not just because I was just trying to be like a hardo or be like David Goggins running in the snow, but more so I was just like stubborn too. I was like, I need to run earlier in the day. So even before the sun was up because, you know, I had to drive up here as well as, you know, I don't want to push on another day. So I ended up just getting screwed and, you know, running in the snow. And specifically last week, it was legit five, six inches deep. And I'm just like trudging like an idiot in the snow. And, uh, but you know, it's better, better done poorly than not done at all, I guess. Well, yeah, I was looking at your story 10 miles this morning. I was like, God, Godspeed. Well, I have this stupid streak going on right now that means literally nothing where it's like, uh, I think 16 weeks in a row, I ran 10 miles every Thursday for my long run. I need to actually ramp it up coming now because I'm about nine weeks, eight, nine weeks from a 50 K and then I have a 54 miler three weeks after that. So the, the 10 miles needs to actually go up a, a, a good bit soon enough. But um, it's good to kind of just get, get used to that and make that like my baseline. Because um, eventually over time, you know, what, what, whatever arbitrary number you choose, whether it's four miles or 14, you keep doing it week after week, that feels like normal. So then if you do like less than that, even if it's still eight or 10 miles, you know, it, it's, it's, uh, it feels like an easier day. Yeah, you know, 100%. Relative. And just for context for everyone else, like the, the weeks have been, I feel like, 50s and then it'll just drop to 10 and yeah. snow like six inches so basically all the snow has time to melt and yes. then it yes. just boom replenishes well that, that's the thing about colorado weather and you know people were, were telling me and my wife about it and uh we didn't quite understand at first but they would be like well we get a ton of snow but it's melted by the afternoon and you know i think it's a mix of okay that the 
it gets warmer in the evening, but then also because the elevation, the sun's beating down. It's very, it's very almost sunny every single day here in Colorado, which we like a lot. And so the sun just melts essentially instantly, like you said. So like by the time I drive back this evening, it'll be gone. But it just so happens that I'm a morning trainer or runner. So it's not like I, I don't even because I don't want to push my workout later in the day because I'm thinking about it. I'm stressed about it, whatever. So I still want to knock it out in the day. I'm too stubborn like that. And so I end up still getting like the brunt of the uh, the snow. It's mad funny. Yeah. Morning exerciser, dude. God, God bless you. I know. So it leads me to a good question is uh, before we get into a lot of your entrepreneur stuff and, you know, your website and content that you create now, I want to get into a little bit of your like lifting background. So what made you fall in love with lifting in general? Where did you get your start? Um, you know, what, what kind of triggered that, that interest? So I think it stemmed from sports like most folks growing up. So growing up, I played ice hockey and I had a dad who played college football. So I was introduced to the weight room very early on. So about like 13 or 14, probably around like, honestly, actually 12, 13, because mm -hmm. right around like that eighth grade year, I think that's how old you are then. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's when my dad like started taking me down to the basement. We had like a little gym rack. We had like a Bowflex that he bought mm -hmm. for us. And you know, like every shithead teenager, I didn't want to do what my dad told me, yeah, but yeah. he got me interested in it because it started like getting me really interested into like, okay, what can my body do? Like, how does this carry over to performance? Mm -hmm. um, and once I started kind of connecting those two, when it comes to training a little bit more consistently, when it comes to just like doing like your typical teenage lifts, like bench press and like biceps, shoulders, mm -hmm. some leg stuff and seeing that translate to athletic performance, that's what really got that itch going. So Couple that with the coupling of, I think, getting some more recognition from some of the girls that would never pay attention to me, but then all of a sudden, like, yeah. oh, you got abs. And, like, yeah. at the time, like, I didn't realize how much that would actually fuck my body dysmorphia. But <laughs> here we are, yeah. whatever, like, I'm 30 now, so a good 17, 18 years later, and we're still kicking well, dude, it and trying a, to get stronger. I think we all do it at least partially or initially for the girls, or at least this, this transition from, you know, you're not happy with your body into, like, loving it. Because I remember, you know, as I was, you know, middle school, as, as every boy or and girl especially too is, you're, you're looking in the mirror and you're like, is someone going to want to see this body or this naked body eventually? And you're like, no, probably not. You know, I look like a bottle of mayonnaise, whatever it is. And so you want to, you know, tighten things up. And so I kind of got started lifting around that same time as well. Uh, my dad didn't get me into lifting in a sense that he was like a big uh, lifter, but he, he and my mom were always doing like the group X class or group classes at the gym and things of that nature. And um, so we started doing like this little machine circuit and we do it like three times around. So it wasn't even like we do three sets on something. And then the next thing, it was kind of just go around it, do that a few times a week <clears throat> into your reference about, you know, getting interest from girls or whatever. I didn't really have like a ton of interest, but I remember there's this one girl I was interested in and I had the smallest little bicep line of like, okay, a little bit of bump, you know? And I remember showing her like this little like line and uh, she was like fairly impressed. And I thought I was like so cool. And I was like, yeah, like look at that arm. And it was like the most puny, <laughs> puny arm that you could ever see. Well, the best part I think is that you start your journey for the opposite sex, but yeah. as you start to like get more into it, oh, yeah, like, dude, I, li I live now more for probably like dudes. Cause I'm yeah. like, yo, I want to be fucking strong to compete with my friends. And like, yeah. you know, like work with others who want to get strong as well. So it's like started out for the ladies yeah. and now I'm like, I live for the dudes. It's got to evolve <laughs> because otherwise, like you said, you just get the, the guy attention. Um, and the other thing is if you just live for the women, once you have a relationship, 
you have no more reason to lift. And so I see that all the time, both guys and girls, where they go to the gym because, okay, it's a bunch of like, you know, horny single people all working out, like less clothes than usual typically. And, you know, so you, you find someone else who's also interested, you guys start dating and, you know, your reason for lifting falls by the wayside because, you, you know, you got that incentive kind of already. So, you know, it's a dangerous path. But transitioning back to that, so you you did it mainly for sports. I assume you played through high school. I don't know if you played in collegiate. Transitioning out of that kind of formal athletic setting, what did that kind of transition look like to where you were just lifting more independently? Yeah, so I think that kind of happened harmoniously as I went to college and I started getting more interested in wanting to be like a trainer and wanting to be more into like the fitness editorial. That was kind of driving the want to lift, the want to look like I lift, the want to be strong Mm -hmm. because like I'm big on like, Reviewing shoes, for example, like mm-hmm. having an athletic base that is, I would say, a little bit more elite than like the average gym goer who's a lot more recreational, who does, mm-hmm. doesn't have specific goals, because I think it had, adds depth to the content, adds a little bit more legitimacy. Yeah. So that was kind of like a nice smooth transition because with lifting for me, like I'm very goal oriented. So having something or at least some foundation to be training for is mm-hmm. really important. That doesn't mean I'm necessarily gunning for a certain lift. That doesn't mean I'm always gunning for a competition. But there's always like this foundational layer of like, I'm doing this for my business to Mm -hmm. accelerate the content, to help people hopefully relate a little bit more to what I'm talking about when it comes to lifting, the Mm -hmm. footwear I'm training in, the gear I'm using. Um, So that's kind of how that transition happened. And it was kind of harmonious throughout like that, probably like college, post-college timeline. Yeah, yeah. I definitely vibe with that because I think for a while I was – you know, th- through high school, first four or five years, or whatever, of lifting, you're very into it for again, like just, I mean, you see progress a lot faster when you when you first start, and then you are trying to get that attention a little bit from other people. Uh, I was mostly pursuing bodybuilding with, you know, strength training is also intertwined. So like my bench press, I want to get stronger, my deadlift squat, all that as well. Um, but it was mainly physique focused. And after doing a bodybuilding ki- competition, I was like, wow, I didn't really enjoy the competition, but I did really enjoy the process of seeing like where my body could go and what it would look like and things, things like that. Uh, and, you know, over years, you know, we were just talking about it a little bit before, but I think those first few years, it's very exciting just in general. But the people that can lift or run whatever athletic endeavor it is for four or five, ten years, decades, whatever, are the people that can kind of let their their goals, they can pivot well, right, to different goals and change the challenge. So it's not one specific sport or one specific uh, calling card that is their whole identity, but they can find a reason absent of competition to still pursue their limits or still kind of push boundaries. And it seems like yours was definitely from, from a more internal standpoint and also from, you know, the incentive of, of looking the part and being the part to only enhance your content, your expertise. 100%. And that brings a really good point. And that's something I think that every lifter should at least consider throughout their career because you're mm. going to get bored doing the same shit. Yeah. So being able to pivot, I think can be re- really important because it challenges you in different ways and it keeps you interested in the actual trade of working out. Like yeah. truthfully, Brock, like if I wasn't reviewing shoes all the time, I would probably work out at like 60% of the volume I do now. <laughs> like I would like to say that I'm yeah. a little bit over the top with my training. Like I do not need to train at the volume I am to maintain what I want to maintain. Mm-hmm. So I think having that, like pie in the sky viewpoint and then also being able to recognize like okay here's where i want to go here's how i can pivot here's what i realistically need to get done based on the context of my life it makes it a lot easier to stay interested but then also not put a ton of arbitrary pressure on yourself 
which can then lead to burnout, which can lead to you yeah. developing an unhealthy relationship with everything. So I'm with that. And I love the pivoting of goals. And I love seeing like athletes and lifters that I follow on Instagram, YouTube, whatever, seeing them be super niche at the start, but then start to like blossom into this different thing. Yeah. And I know that scares some people and it turns some people off. But like, I think once you get to that level yourself, you recognize the beauty of it yeah. because you're like, I get it. Like this dude is fucking bored of this. Like let him explore something else. Let him try something mm-hmm. new because I think at a, some point in everybody's life, if you're really going to be in it for the long run, you are going to pivot eventually, or at least take a slightly different stance on what you're normally doing. I think there's a small select few that are able to, and you know, these are usually the, the top elite athletes or people that are totally, and I mean this in a good way, obsessed with a certain sport. So, I mean, there are those people that are old heads that have been bodybuilding for till, you know, till they're 70, you know, they've been doing it for decades or the people that are, you know, doing whatever sport forever. Uh, but I think you mentioned, you know, things have to evolve and you, as you evolve and grow as a person, you're going to get bored doing cer- certain stuff. You're powerlifting. Are you really just going to bench squat and deadlift for, for decades on end? Now you probably want to switch things up and there's a lot of beauty and a lot of lessons you can learn from switching things up, from trying different sports, from, be, you know, being forced to be that new novice and that beginner at different things. And, and the last point I'll drive home on that is, you know, because I've been in the situation, currently am in the situation where if you are a content creator and you, you, you leverage your interest into a hobby, a skill, whatever, and, you, and you, you use that to create content and grow an audience, the problem is you end up boxing yourself a little bit in to where you control the box, but you also understand the, the incentives to stay in it. And, you know, once you're into it where you post lifting content, people expect lifting content, there's a lot of value in sticking to your niche, but there's a lot of internal unhappiness and and frustration when you you don't allow yourself to explore other things or make content about other stuff. So, like, I'm in a point, you know, where I I like posting about my running, I like posting about my lifting, but, you know, like you, you know, there's other things I do, there's other interests I have, and, you know, if if I throw up a post about, you know, specialty coffee or I throw up, you know, post about something different, you know, it doesn't get the same engagement, so it almost decentivizes me from from posting that way. So social media can be like a little bit of a, a, a trap in that way because it keeps you boxed in and confined to your interests. Yeah, and to add to that, I think it could be really important to just make sure you can create that separation. It's like whenever I post truck content, I'm always like, ah, oh, shit, this didn't do as well. Yeah. But then it's like Nikki will be like, it's because you don't normally post this. Like people don't know you yeah. for that. Like it's okay. And so I think taking a separation from the algorithms and like what's going to feed that dopamine of, Hey, I'm known for this is what I post is what does really well. It can be really useful. And I mean, at the end of the fucking day too, like it doesn't really matter. Like a few posts here and there that are out of your comfort zone or different from what you normally post. Like people are going to see that if they don't engage with it, cool. They'll forget about it. But you know what? Like how did you build that niche focus in the first place? Repetition. So I think there's a lot of beauty of like, look, if you're going to transition into something else, don't totally neglect what's got you going, but at the same time, like you're going to have to be repetitive again with this new thing to get people to kind of be familiar with that new evolution of yourself. So to your point, like I think a lot of folks get trapped because they don't get that instant gratification there. But like with anything, like if you're repetitive with it, if you do it in a tasteful way that doesn't completely neglect where you started and like totally ignore why people followed you in the first place. I think that could be a really nice, well-balanced way to approach that and give people what they want, but also let them start to like slowly get exposed to your new interests and then hopefully want to rock with you when you do that evolution. 
Yeah, hundred percent. You know, I like that you mentioned kind of two things. One, setting your expectations of a, a little bit lower. If I post something different than what's expected, you can't expect the same results of of that other more niche content that you post. And the other thing is, like you mentioned, over time, if you post a certain way, you post a different way, that will shape people's perspective of you. And that's that's the the good thing I'll say about social media is you can kind of shape people's perception, either in a good way or a bad way or one way or another. So, you know, if I just started posting truck content, I'm not a truck guy, but if I just started randomly posting truck content and that's all on my page, you know, the first few weeks people are going to be like, you're, you're a runner or you're, you're whatever, you know, people perceive you as you're not a truck guy. But after weeks and weeks and weeks of posting that, people are like, oh, Brock's the truck guy because yeah. he posts all this stuff. So it is, you know, over time you can really shape how people perceive you and what your identity is, especially um, through social media. So I, I want to dig into that fit friend simple question where did it start what was like the first post did it originate with the youtube or the website how'd you get started with all that and what yeah. is it <laughs> gotcha yeah so i'll try to keep it as concise as possible so essentially i worked for a startup company called barbin for four years it was a strength sports website we covered a bunch of different verticals like crossfit weightlifting strongman yada yada at that company, I started to build out some reviews for them. And one of the big verticals that I helped them build out and like was really interested in was shoes and footwear. And so eventually I quit that job because I got burnt out. I was like, why am I creating content for somebody else when I could literally just be doing this for myself? I have the credentials, I have the skill sets. Um, so I love them. They were super grateful for that opportunity, but eventually got to a point where I'm like, I'm going to do this for myself. So I actually left to do something different than that fit friend. Like I did not leave that job with the intention of starting this which is a shoe review website with other training gear sprinkled in um and so basically left that job to open up a training business with my buddy physique who runs a big instagram page on well runs a big instagram page which you've likely seen it's like the informative drawing like exercise post that pink guy yeah. you've likely seen his stuff at some point the dude has a huge following has a ton of reach started this business ended up not exactly working out the way we thought it would and like the long story there is like we rolled out a free ebook the year prior had like 25 down 25,000 downloads in a day so we're like damn let's start a business together yeah. and of course like every young person who sees like that kind of number you're like i could do this and then you yeah. get into it and you're like this is a lot more complex than i thought it was going to be yeah so we yeah. start that business doesn't really take off the way we thought it was so at that time i started building out like very passive shoe reviews because i was like damn like i really miss footwear because like my roots when it comes to like being youth like what i wanted to do was build apparel yeah. and build like something and so we can unpack that as to why i did not pursue that through college and whatnot and why i went editorial but looking back at it now like that was always an interest of mine so starting out these reviews kind of like was this nice subtle way of getting into that without necessarily only doing that because i didn't know if it would work yada yada i just did it because i liked it so i started building out some written reviews started building out some YouTube content outside of like training content because that's what I was using my YouTube channel primarily for. Um, and I started sprinkling in some shoe reviews and then fast forward four to six months and you start seeing some traffic on the site. You start seeing a little bit well, more traffic. Review content does really well, you know, and I, I've noticed that even, you know, we talked about reviewing 10,000 content or just other, other gear in general. Uh, a lot of times customers and I'm this way and I'm sure you are this way with a lot of products the first thing you want to do is Google a YouTube review. What do people think of the product? So, you know, that's a great way to kind of, especially if you don't already have an audience, it's going to be a very searchable topic that, you know, that people can find your content. 100%. And I think why it's done as well as it has at the rate it has, because 
once I started seeing some traction there and starting to see, like, I started to see like physique lab, like the company we had fizzle out. I was like, okay, there's something here. I'm going gung ho into this. And I started sinking all of my time into building this really niche site. And I think because, and to your point with review content, there are so many misleading reviews out there. Like no offense, but every media company, mostly that's just glorified marketing. They get shit for free. They don't really test the stuff. They're just putting it up for affiliate money. Like, does that fit friend make affiliate sales? Yes. But you know what? Like I'm a real dude buying every single product I review and showing you in YouTube videos and articles how I'm physically testing the product. And I think there's a huge need for that right now across every industry because we've gotten to the point where you have so many people building out reviews that are just doing it for the money and not because they genuinely love the trade and the niche that people really want to connect with reviewers who are honest about their shit, you know, like honest about how this product's going to perform, how it's going to excel, how it's going to fall short, et cetera. And I think that's what's helped that fit for and grow is a dire need, I think, in the review space for honesty. Every review, every review site you see, we're honest, da, 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 da. and then it's like you have no real products of your writer doing this. You have this writer also writing on 40 different topics. How can they be an expert in literally everything? Let's be honest. So that's kind of the shtick of that fit friend and that's kind of how it's evolved over the last year and a half two years and that's right about the timeline at where we're at um so it's been really cool to see the evolution that's kind of the take i've had when it comes to building that community because it's like hey i'm going to interact with every comment i'm going to interact to every dm i'm going to talk to you about shoes and be a fucking human and not some media company trying to make money off of a review that i'd never even actually tested the product for yeah, there's a couple of things there. So like one you mentioned, having the authenticity and the personality to go behind the review, I think makes it makes a big impact and creates this more uh, honest, transparent feeling. And the other thing like you mentioned is a lot of these websites, they're, they're not really doing review work. They're really just doing this glorification and highlighting a product. So they're, you know, they're getting it sent free, they're calling it review, but they're really only presenting the pros. They're really only showing the casing, the features. And they're not actually showcasing any experience with it. They're not showcasing any uh, downfalls or issues with the product. And even if you're a reviewer, and I'm sure you've been approached this way, and I have as well, uh, okay, you get sent a product. Well, the incentive is not only just to <clears throat> say something good about them, but if you want to actually convert any sales, you do need to put a positive spin on the product, right? Because otherwise... People watching the review, if you're if you're saying you know this product sucks, well you're not making any sales. You're being honest, but you're not making any sales. So it's you know you're getting some views, but you know there is an incentive to to boost up something for both the brand and yourself. Um, so it definitely gets tricky with that incentive. What was your inspiration specifically or passion for footwear versus apparel? And you know you do showcase some other gear as well, but specifically why the the shoe niche? So I wear a lot of different shoes on a weekly basis when I'm training, right? So it's like I wear cross-training shoes for my athletic-style training sessions, my cross-training sessions, my CrossFit-focused workouts. Yeah. I wear weightlifting shoes. I wear barefoot shoes. And something I've noticed is that there are just so many options on the market. And like having that kind of root with wanting to build my own thing eventually, yeah. like I find footwear really interesting because it's a piece of performance gear that can influence your outcomes in the gym and that everyone uses <laughs> Yep, and not having the yeah. right gear can like severely impact your workout performance and i think a lot of times folks get boxed into like i only wear this type of shoe and then lo and behold they try something new and they're like holy shit my performance went up and i think that's really cool as a coach yeah so it's like all these different interests that i love coaching i love learning about 
how a shoe can influence your mechanics when training. Mm -hmm. I love the actual building of the shoe and like the nuances that exist between every pair. And I love the integration of different styles of footwear for different contexts from both a performance and coaching point of view. So that's kind of why I chose footwear. And I just find it super interesting that everybody wears shoes. Everybody has their own interests. And I think really building out more context and nuance as to the why and when you should wear which shoes is just really important and something that the industry needs. You go into men's health, they can tell you 10, bridge, 10 best shoes, but like they've never worn them. Very rarely do they. Not, not to bash my folks at Men's Health because I do have some homies there. But it's like it's just so vague that it doesn't do the actual niche forms of training that a lot of yeah. us partake in justice. And mm-hmm. so that's why I think footwear specifically really like has sunk its like hooks into me. And also like I'm not a hype beast. I'm not a sneakerhead. But if you look yeah. at like performance shoes like i guess i could be i just don't know what i would be called because i feel like it should take a different name (laughs) yeah we'll come up with a new term for you so it leads me to one question i was i was going to ask you was you know what are your current daily drivers or some of your favorite shoes or you could add in some honorable mentions where you know you they're not for everyone but you really like the design um just current favorites what what are your thoughts yeah so if i'm looking to just have like a comfortable shoe for out and about typically i'll reach for barefoot shoes and why i will reach for barefoot shoes it's not because that's the only style of footwear i wear but because i do like the wider toe box i like the zero drop construction because a lot of my daily driving needs is just walking the dogs out and about standing at a coffee shop working or just doing some errands and with a barefoot shoe you're going to get a different exposure to stress on the feet and ankles that you would with a cross training shoe or a shoe with a higher drop like a boot or something so it's a nice sneaky way to expose your feet and ankles to different levels of stressors in a nice low threshold way without totally diverting from your training and whatnot so long story short barefoot shoes will be typically what i reach for my current pairs right now i'm rocking i have three different pairs in rotation i wear the tolos archetype one very clean looking pair great for training as well a little bit lighter so they don't necessarily work out in the colder weather Mm -hmm. second pair is the icarus ascent white leather shoe it's a little bit heavier i'll wear them when it's a little bit colder out and they come with different insoles so you can swap out the level of cushion you get with them and then the vivo barefoot primus light knit similar to the tolos archetype one a little bit lighter easy to slip on so i will wear that shoe out and about casually Mm -hmm. when i want something that's a little bit lighter in nature and then outside of those shoes if I want like a training shoe for all day wear, so let's say I'm going on a trip and I'm traveling light and I don't yeah. have the backpack or like a kind of do it all shoe. Yeah. So what I'll wear then is a Strength Movement Haze Trainer. It's like a clean looking tra- cross training shoe. Where's this brand from? I haven't heard of them. Strike Movement. So this is uh. Oh, so you're wearing the j- the hoodie now. I just noticed that, right? Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I actually got this in Wadapalooza because. It was way cold one day, and like yeah. they had a stand, so You're I just like, literally yeah. walked by and bought one. Right. Not because there's like any. Where are they based out of, or how how new were they? Canada. They're they're pretty they're pretty old. They're just like a oh, smaller really? company, okay. yeah. yeah. But that shoe is great because it looks pretty formal. Works yeah. great for lifting. Works great for athletic focus work. And now that I'm wearing this hoodie, that's not just me endorsing them. I was like, gonna say, <laughs> no, literally sponsored by no, literally, bro. Yeah. Like I have like four hoodies that I keep yeah. in rotation, and this is yeah. just what I grabbed today. Now you're competing. so I'll rock that. Um, I've really enjoyed the Tier 6 T1 trainer. The okay. only issue is they can run pretty narrow. Yeah. So they're not my favorite shoe for necessarily like travel. But like if I want a shoe to run out and about in and then go to the gym, that shoe works pretty well. Yeah. And then outside of that, what else? There's I guess r- it's hard to ask a uh, shoe reviewer Dude. his favorite shoes without a, a long ramble. <laughs> no, that, I mean, that's you're getting into it now. And the last yeah. model I will say for daily wear, if I'm looking for a cross-training shoe, is the Rad 1. That's another shoe that you can rock out and about. It looks a little bit more formal, and it works really freaking well in the gym. So, yeah, if you ask me questions about shoes, there's always, like, 
Well, like in what context? Like, yeah. what do you prefer? Like, There's here are my three, variety. but here are why. So, yeah. dude, like we could talk all day on this, and I have so many. And you know what's funny? If you ask me at different points in the day, I'll typically have like a little bit of an ebb and flow in my answers because yeah. there are just so many Changes shoes that come time. to my mind that I'm like, well, shit, like this is good for this, but yeah. then like not that foot anatomy yeah. and then this. So, yeah, uh, apologies for the long <laughs> ramble. But those are six shoes that I like, yeah. barefoot shoes and cross-training shoes for like a daily driver context. I want to get your opinion on the kind of cultish following on barefoot shoes. Cause you mentioned, you know, you have a couple on rotation, you're a big barefoot shoe guy. I know you talked to the, uh, the founder of zero shoe, right? That's what it's called. Yeah. I've talked to a couple of founders a couple actually, founders. like okay, a couple yeah. of founders. So I've talked to <clears throat> Evan who founded Tolos, yeah, yeah, Tolos yeah. um, and a couple of other smaller brands. And mm-hmm. yeah. What do you want to know about the cult following? Cause I have, so, a, I have a strong take here. Well, I well, so I was telling my wife literally. I was like, I like. Uh, I'm excited to have Jake on because he's very opinionated, and I think that's a double edged sword. But for podcasts, it's perfect because I want the the harsh opinions based on this, and then also some other like fitness culture things that we'll get to in a minute. But I'd like to get your take because my perspective is there's been this huge uprising of interest in barefoot shoes, and just as any uprising and any you know niche is going to be there's the extremes, right? And so there's, you know, the extremes of people that are like, you know, barefoot, everything, uh, everyone should be wearing barefoot shoes. Other shoes are, are, are the devil. Um, and you know, you can, you know, run marathons in barefoot shoes. So you got that extreme. Um, but then you got other people's extreme that are, you know, this is going to hurt your feet or whatever. I don't see that as much more. So I'm wondering your extreme of barefoot, everything, toe spacers, the whole nine. So what, what is your, your big opinion on it? Yeah, so I think it's like every fucking thing we see when it comes to the pendulum swing, right? So you're starting to get this like mainstream traction a little bit more with barefoot shoes. And you have people who are like the early adopters who have really bought in. They've made it their whole fucking identity. I don't resonate with that when it comes (laughs) to like, yeah, I wear barefoot shoes, but it's like not just me. You're not greater than now because you do so. Dude, 100%. (laughs) And so my take is, is barefoot shoes are freaking awesome. However, I look at them like every other piece of footwear. They're tools, right? Yeah. They're great pieces of like supportive gear that we can utilize in our training without having to derail exactly what we like. So I think yeah. the big the big caveat here is like you can use barefoot shoes for training in your daily wear life, but yeah. if you want to train for CrossFit in a cross training shoe, yeah. like a slightly narrower toe box for a few hours of your day, it's not going to wreck everything. It and doesn't think, have to be all or nothing. Exactly. Yeah. And so my, my opinion is more so against that all or not all or nothing mindset, because yeah. I don't think it has to be that way. I think mm-hmm. it's very foolish and oversimplified to look at it that way, because at the same time too, some people just won't resonate with barefoot shoes. Yeah. For example, like, they're not the prettiest shoe. Well, they're not the prettiest, but also <laughs> I think there's like you have to expose yourself slowly to that style yeah. of footwear, and people neglect that. They jump right into barefoot shoes. They fucking get super sore. They hurt something. That's like, what, what uh, Zach with Flux was talking about when I, I talked to him a few weeks ago. Is yeah, a lot of people you know adopt this thing wholesale, abrupt change, and you know they get hurt that way. One hundred percent. And so. As much as I love barefoot shoes, I think sometimes the culty feel of it doesn't paint the full picture. Yeah. And you don't just have to wear that style of footwear when you want to integrate barefoot shoes in. That's mm-hmm. my big thing with that fit friend is like, yo, like this is how you can integrate all these different styles of footwear into your training based off of what you like. The big thing is to plug and play, find what works for you, and then rock that. You don't have to identify as one thing. You don't have to be one thing. Mm-hmm. And so I just get very frustrated with like, oh, you, you, your toes are red, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, mm-hmm. dude, like no offense, but like some of the most elite athletes in the world have never worn a barefoot shoe. Please go off. Tell me yeah. why 
your fucking 225 pound deadlift with your wide toes mm-hmm. are any better than this guy's 500 pound pull while yeah. he's wearing fucking vans with a narrow toe box. Like I just don't always resonate with like the, you got to do this all the time because that's yeah. just not real it's, life. It's, it's uh, not a perfect parallel, but it's similar to the whole debate with uh, nutrition, right? Where there's always like somebody like, this is the best diet or do carnivore, do vegan, or this is the best way to eat or, you know, macro friend. It's like, there's a million ways you can do it. Right. And it is always like, okay, it doesn't have to be one or the other. If you, if you are, uh, you know, carnivore, you can still mix in some fruits or different things like that. Or if you are into barefoot shoes, you can still mix in other training uh, shoes and modalities when necessary and how they benefit you. So it doesn't have to, like you said, be, you know, black and white. There's a, there's a big area of grayness. 100%. And I think just taking the mindset of like, okay, footwear, toe spacers, those are tools, man. Like yeah. after a long run, when I've worn it, when I've worn like a running shoe, like a Pegasus that has a narrow toe box, mm. like I'll throw on toe spacers for a good, like 30, 45 minutes. And I've done that in a nice, like gradual exposure. So start a little bit lighter because toe spacers if you've never worn them will feel very uncomfortable so take that mindset of like a nice progressive overload like you do with your training with stuff like barefoot shoes with toe spacers awesome freaking tools nice way to include diversity when it comes to the stressors of the feet and ankles that they're going to go through but i don't vibe with the all or none i want to make that very clear i think there's a world where we can wear different styles of footwear and get a lot of gain and i think once you factor in your own preferences wants and needs that's when you start to learn like okay cool like i like a barefoot shoe for this style of lower body workout but i like a weightlifting shoe for high bar squats because like for example for my lanky ass yeah. like if i wear a zero Torso. drop barefoot shoe dude yeah i look like a fucking folding chair when yeah. i try to squat yeah. and it just is what it is like i just yeah. don't have the anatomy and the build for that and mm-hmm. i think to say like, oh, you just got to work your mobility. It's like, okay, bro, you want me to take a fucking year off of pushing my training to work on my mobility, which yeah. could, could improve over that time. Like why not integrate both in, get a ton yeah. of gain in both verticals. Like I can improve my mobility with barefoot shoes for certain workouts and then wear weightlifting shoes for my high bar squats and really start to push my performance there. So boom, I'm making progress in both realms without diverting everything or changing my identity for the style of footwear. Ooh, I'm getting heated. <laughs> so we don't need to split the country between barefoot shoe wearers and not. Dude, there's enough po- there's enough me. fucking polarization in our world to not like we don't need that in footwear. We too. don't need it to be there. Like, yeah, yeah. Let people do what they want to do. Help educate people on different uh-huh. styles of footwear and how to integrate stuff in based on the workout they're doing. Add some nuance, add some education. But mm-hmm. goddamn it, dude. And you know what's funny is like when you look at some of these like culty folks who push barefoot shoes, yeah. all of a sudden it's like Use my Vivo Barefoot code. Oh. Use my code. And it's like, oh, <laughs> you're actually selling something. Yeah, Interesting. Convenient. How convenient for you. That leads me perfectly to another question I wanted to ask. You know, you kind of referenced it earlier is you buy the shoes you review. Mm. So I wanted to ask, one, have you always done that? Because I couldn't remember when we last spoke whether that was something you were doing or you were already transitioning to. So one, have you always done that? And two, you know, to you, what is, what is the, the big benefit of doing so? Yeah. So when I started that fit friend, there was like a good, like six or eight month runway where some companies would still send products. So for example, like when I left Barbend, I had good contacts like Nike, Reebok, Under Armour, et cetera. And once they learned that I was doing shoe reviews, like they would send me products, but it got to a point where I think in that growth stage of that fit friend and like my entrepreneurship, I really started to look at my value system and like look at the pillars of what I want to build this business on and just kind of having that disdain towards normal traditional media companies pumping out shallow reviews from free product. I was like, you know what? 
fuck this. I'm going to start buying every shoe because that way there is no tie because I think people neglect, like even if you get a free product and you say you're going to be like balanced and like, I'm going to share whatever I want though. If you send this for free, like there is always that undertone of like, okay, well this person was really nice. Like I don't want to be super mean. So why I buy every shoe and why I've started to do that is because if I have skin in the game, like Mm -hmm. there's a lot of things that I like want to spend my money on on a daily wear basis. I mean on a daily basis, not daily wear basis, but the, if I have skin in the game, it makes me a lot more critical and it makes me a lot more objective and it makes yeah. me a consumer like everybody else. You're more pissed that you spent a hundred bucks on a bad pair of shoes. 100%. <laughs> like, I don't know where they are, but there's this Under Armour shoe I just oh, reviewed yeah. and it was absolutely god awful. Oh. And it was like, <laughs> don't fucking buy this. Like, yeah. I regret spending $140 on this. That's money I'm yeah. never going to get back. Yeah. But that being said, um, I think buying shoes, it's like cool because it's like, yo, I'm a consumer like you now. Like, yeah. Yeah, I'm pumping out a review on this shoe and I'm testing it and building out content, which most folks are not doing, but I'm buying it. So it just adds that extra layer of objectivity. And it's been something that I've been trying to do pretty much for every brand. Like, will Reebok send me shoes here and there early release? Yeah, but I end up buying product for my reviews because again, I want skin in the game. And like, if they're going to send stuff cool, I'll give that away and then I'll buy the product for the actual review. So he's just like one of us peasants, folks. <laughs> one of us, yeah. Dude, like I think my last month. And this well, I was is... going to ask. You're probably going to say it. I was going to ask, how much do you spend monthly on shoes typically? Yeah, and this is this is by no means a freaking flex because I don't like money talks. But yeah. like I think last month it was around like $2,600 on yeah. shoes, on performance footwear. And that's like barefoot shoes, weightlifting yeah. shoes, cross shoes. So probably shoes. like 13 to 16 pairs. Just about, like I would yeah. say close to 10. I bought a yeah. pair of Antas. They're actually in my truck. Yeah. Um, they're the new weightlifting shoe. Yeah. Those yeah. suckers were like 370. Oh, yeah. so, those, some weightlifting shoes are very expensive. Those, yeah. those, those skewed yeah. it a little bit. And I bought those overseas. And like yeah. what I do too and why that price is a little bit higher is I was just telling you, like I just bought the Under Armour weightlifting shoes. Those yeah. aren't out in the US yet. A lot of times shoes will go live in Europe or Asia first. So mm-hmm. I'll scour eBay like a fucking weirdo Word to the wise and, uh, yeah. and buy those shoes early. But it's like you, you pay a premium. Like you're generally paying like anywhere from 50 to 150. Plus. Okay. So it's not cheaper. No, no. Oh, okay. So no, no, not no. word to the wise. I word just dropped 260 <laughs> on those shoes. Yeah. And when they come live in the U S they'll probably be 200. Yeah. And that's yeah. usually with free shipping and everything else. Yeah, so yeah. I definitely overpaid there, but it's like, it's for the content. Get it I, out early. 100%. Benefit, yeah. And I love, I just love doing it, you know? And I think, being able to sink more money into it, it does really help add that just like nice layer of, I'm going to be even more critical on this because now I'm 250 bucks in the hole on this shoe. Yeah. So, you know, with this whole world you've, you've surrounded yourself of or surrounded yourself with, with shoes, have you ever thought about, and I think you kind of referenced to it, potentially designing your own shoe or partnering with a company to, to create your ideal vision of a shoe? Yeah. So it's something I've explored and it's something that like, <clears throat> I'm always surprised at how many people ask me to do it, like on yeah. YouTube comments. They're like, why don't you just build your own shoe, dude? <laughs> and it's like, because I need like a hundred grand up front, yeah. and like I need to do all the sourcing, and like that's a whole other vertical that. Yeah. I let, want... let alone the the funding and, and time and all that. Just the. Uh... Well, no, that yeah, that's what I was gonna get at the time, the time commitment. Like you run this whole website, you do all these things, and then trying to to add on a massive business like shoe production, it's not just something you can side hustle really. 100%. I think that's a big thing that I've been trying to go back and forth on because like for context for everybody, for that fit friend, I run a website and a YouTube channel. I do all of the writing. I do all of the editing. Mm-hmm. I do all the filming. I do all the filming editing. So I do all the social posting too. So it's like 
my time is already so limited and I yeah. work with a shop, a Toyota shop here in Denver, Mountain Yoda's. So I'm also working with them on content. So like my time is very limited. And so as much as I want to build a shoe, I keep having this dilemma of like, okay, if I build a shoe, like content will slow down. Content mm. will take a hit. How do I segue away from that and make sure the quality stays there and kind of give up some of that ownership, which I have a really tough time doing yeah. to focus on building a shoe. And like, do I realistically have the time and resources to do a shoe? So as much as I would love to build a shoe, I don't know. And it's something that's really tough for me to swallow. Like if I could realistically do that on the trajectory of like where I want my life to go, because once I think I build a shoe, like you have to be all in, you don't just build a shoe for yes. six months and yeah. then just like, okay, now I'm done. Like if I want the content site to flourish, I don't want the quality to drop. It's there. definitely and a bigger, yeah, it's yeah. definitely a bigger commitment. I, I think, uh, you know, a great person that, I could connect you with would be a guy I had on the podcast weeks ago. I'm known for a few years now, Brock McGough, and he has a uh, another blog and affiliate website called uh, The Modest Man, and uh, he's grown it, you know, very large, high SEO, you know, similar to what you've done. And I think he's, he had an extra six or seven years on you uh, ahead of doing it. But one of the biggest things he did was delegate, and that's something I, you know, as you reference, you have a hard time with. I have a very hard time with it. And that was probably my biggest mistake with, uh, I mean, the gym situation was a phenomenal experience. We sold it and I'm happy with it. But that was the, the struggle that I made was I tried to do everything myself just because I could. Just because you can do everything yourself doesn't mean you, you should do everything yourself. And there's a point where you should up until a point where, you know, okay, you can hand things off in a meaningful or in a, or in a productive manner, you know? Like you wouldn't want to just shift it off to some overseas guy typing up reviews that hasn't actually reviewed the shoe or there's experienced it. Yeah, there's enough of that. So, you know, I, I don't know exactly how you would do it, but I understand kind of the situation you're in where it is very hard to kind of hand off your baby to to just other people. But at the same time, your schedule is full, you know, and you, you just like me, you're probably taking on too much. And then as soon as you get free time, you stuff more more work into it. And uh, yeah, it's just like this workaholic type mentality. Well, you know, what's interesting is. I don't necessarily know if I resonate with that yeah. anymore. So that's kind of been like why I'm kind of like more apprehensive on starting the shoe thing because yeah. dude, like I don't want to work more. Like okay, when I yeah, get free yeah. time, like I don't sink more projects in. Okay. I've been like, dude, I kind of want to like just piss off in the mountains and go explore and like have fun. Yeah. Like I built TF2 to give me more freedom. Like why yeah. would I want to bring on more things that are going to take away from that? So to that point, and like I've had some mentors be like, you should start delegating more and stuff. But like, TF2 is a lot of work, but yeah. the amount of volume that I'm doing with it is doable. It's not completely burning me out. I understand. And that, so yeah. I'm at a point where it's the right amount of work and the right amount of freedom. Yeah? 100%. And it's okay. at a point where it's, it's making a comfortable living and I don't really need much more than that. Yeah. And so I'm like, why do I need to bring on more people? Is it because society wants me to take this like capitalism approach and like command and conquer and keep yeah. building and keep scaling? Like, why dude like yeah i have a such a great community that's growing nice organically and slowly and i'm really getting to connect with everybody who comes into it yeah and it's at a rate that i like you know and yeah. it's at a rate that is showing like a consistent growth so to that point like at least for the next six to 12 months mm -hmm. i'm kind of taking this mindset of like fuck the traditional capitalism approach of like trying to do more trying to scale like mm -hmm. tf2 will scale as long as i keep producing content and innovating that content mm -hmm. but like why why bring on more things that's going to limit more of my free time when in reality we're all building businesses in most worlds to get more free time yet we end up doing it 
and we find that we're bringing on more projects. We yeah, well, I mean, this is literally, um, you know, my last uh, podcast before this one, this is, or no, two ones, it'll be from this one, but, you know, something I posted this past week was, and it's the, it's, I'm a habitual offender of it, so I can speak on it accurately, is I am that, you know, I think a workaholic work ethic has pros and cons, and the obvious con is you are, you work hard enough to give yourself some free time, but then you stuff it with more work. And it's this perpetual cycle that just leaves you um, endlessly stressed, endlessly anxious, and never appeased. And um, I, I definitely, I'm not in a place where I'm unappeased. I'm very happy and thankful for like my life. But I am in a situation where I am looking at things and I'm saying, you know, I, I, I would like to have more income. I would like to have more of these different, you know, investments and things of that nature. But I don't, I don't need any more. I'm looking at life from a perspective, and I, I stole this from another conversation I had with Jeff Pelletier on a pe- previous podcast, was viewing life from a perspective of abundance rather than scarcity. Look at all they, all that I have. Look at the, the uh, incredible either income or, or life and free time I have. I don't need to look at it from a pers- perspective of scarcity of what, what I don't have. Why haven't I scaled it? I need more of this, more, more, more. And so I, I, I like that, that, you, that you mentioned that. I think the counter argument that I, I would pa- partially assert, but then partially still am on your side, is the idea of like, okay, if you can grind more in a shorter period of time, you are able to have more passive income and, and, and investment so that you have you know more total free income and maybe more stability and security. Um, but I think the caveat is you need to have that exit plan because if you don't, then you're in that cycle, right? You're in that, that hamster wheel of capitalism. But if you, I think, have that caveat and that clear plan and that clear execution of, hey, I'm doing this for this reason at this point, I'm going to be able to bring back, then I think for some people, the sacrifice is potentially worth it. Yeah, 100%. I think that comes down to lifestyle too. Like, how do you want to spend your next whatever years? So like for me, the way I look at that is like, okay, what is the number every month that I want coming in? Great. That's coming in. It's past that. Sick. Like, I'm just going to keep chugging along, man, doing my thing. And yeah, I don't know. As long as I'm making enough to live the lifestyle I want and put some money away and pay off debt, like student loans and shit and like credit card debt from New York city. Like I just don't have that, like hustle now, sell it. You know, like I want TF2 to last. I want it to be a nice long lasting business. And you know what, if me not hustling my ass off for the next two years and sacrificing adventures right now, when I have the youth and the time and the energy, Mm -hmm. if that comes at a little bit of a cost of a payout layered on, like, it yeah. is it is what it is man like it's life's always, too short yeah it's it's like you said it's it's looking at and really analyzing what do you want versus what is society telling you that you should want and yeah figuring out you know what is that comfortable number that you want to hit okay everything else from that is is you know abundance it's excess and you know from person to person you can decide whether that's that's worth it to pursue um Let's, I guess, shift a little bit. Now, I, I want to <laughs> have a little fun with this. So fitness culture has is, is changed like crazy, um, especially, with, in my opinion, the turning point is TikTok specifically. Um, you know, I w- came into it around 2014, 2015. Fitness YouTubers were out there, but they were like, you know, filming on camcorders. It was very authentic, very like organic stuff, very humble beginnings for all these people. And now some of those same people are running Alpha Leader. They're running these massive companies that are, you know, pushing supplements or different products. And it's cool to see them flourish. But at the same time, you know, fitness is always, it's all surrounded around who, who's the next like athlete or influencer. And so a, a lot of these kids, and I saw this specifically owning a gym, a lot of the youth coming up, they're doing it 
for sponsorships or to look like so-and-so who's probably on some kind of performance-enhancing um, substance or, or to pull off this, this PR or to get whatever girls that so-and-so on TikTok is getting and they're not getting into it from a more introspective or, or personal reason. And also there's the whole false expectations that you get from, from Instagram and TikTok. So th- I just spilled a ton of a ton of stuff out there. But what what are your thoughts on how fitness culture has changed, and maybe some of your biggest gripes about it, your your strongest opinions? <laughs> yeah. um, I mean, I think it's changed more so to be. Um, I think it's like everything. Like we talked about the pendulum swing earlier, right? Like, yeah. you have this pendulum swing now of like so many people getting into it, getting into yeah. it. I would argue not necessarily for the the right reasons right out of the gate or like from the reasons of like building like a longstanding business and community and whatnot. And that's cool. Like you're going to like, people are going to people. So I try not to think too deep on that these days. Like my logic is like, look, like I think we've gotten to a point where everything is so curated that we're back to where we almost started in some ways where you have people starting to trickle out of being like, okay, fuck the curation. Like I want somebody a little bit more organic, somebody a little bit more that I can relate to. And so that's kind of like where I've kind of like sunk in my teeth into where Mm -hmm. it's like, look, like I'm not going to have the most polished content. I'm not going to have the most like beautiful review you've ever seen. It's not going to be cinematic, but it's going to be polished enough to be relatable. And Mm -hmm. in the context of where fitness culture is right now with how everybody needs everything so highly edited, everything needs to be so perfect. Mm -hmm. I'm trying not to get so sunk into that because I just in many ways it doesn't resonate with my brand and like how I want to really approach the long-term business of TF2. So honestly, like I don't really have that many strong opinions on that because it's like people going to people like, I thought you'd have some like strong opinions like, Oh, this and the power of the community. What are they doing? Or this is stupid. (laughs) Not not, dude. You know, it's funny. Like I come to you for opinions, man. I used, I used to have stronger opinions when I didn't really know, what I stood for yeah, and where yeah. my business really like lies when it comes to its foundation. And now yeah. that I've kind of developed that and built that confidence there, it's like, dude, like if somebody wants to fucking sell out or like have the perfect curated content and make yeah. a ton or like have this huge following, like that's great. But like, let's see if they can fucking do it in five years from now. Yeah. So I don't know, man, like I try not to let that stuff affect me or like yeah. really like give much bother about it. And you're also getting me on a positive day. If I was a lot more cynical <laughs> or like sleep deprived, I'd probably be a lot more I negative. Think, I but... think my fear is just the longevity. Cause a lot of the kids I saw, I mean, and look, fitness is always something that struggles with longevity. A lot of people get into it. Like we mentioned for girls or for attention or, you know, cause their friends are doing it. And so it becomes this high school thing or this college thing. And you know, they end up, you know, 10, 15 years later, beer gut, haven't been in the gym in years whatever the case may be. But I, I think I just worry that these kids are kind of entering it. And, you know, it, it's funny. It's like you got so many 16-year-olds now that are not only, you know, jacked as balls, but they'll be benching like four or five at 20, 21 years old. And you're like, what the hell? And I, I mentioned that because the expectations are kind of like even crazier than, than when you or I were coming up to where a lot of these kids get into it and, you know, they're already flexing in the mirror. They're 130 pounds and they, they kind of are already focused on like what, what they should be looking like, or, you know, they're, they're constantly chasing like these PRs and it's like instant gratification when really fitness, whether it's physique related or performance related, it's this really long journey. And so like to get to where I I'm at and to get to where, you know, you're at of these different things have, have taken, you know, a decade, give or take. And a lot of times people want these, 
PRs or these certain goals to to happen within two years, like you're not going to develop an impressive physique naturally in like two years. And so trying to just, I guess, people keep people's perspective beyond the short term gratification of Instagram. It's like my gripe. Yeah, 100%. I mean, at the end of the day, too, there's there's no stopping it. And yeah. so, like, my advice to... I'm the any... old man uh, yelling at the, the wind or whatever the phrase is. Yeah, know? it's I don't know, yeah. man. Like, it, it's going to happen. And you know what? Yeah. Like, as much as, like, we're like, oh, like, let's see how you are in 20 years. Like, people are going to do it. People are going to follow them. People yeah. are going to get into that trap of, like, yeah. thinking that that's reality. And so I think there will always come that point where if you're following this and you're like noticing that you're really negative on yourself and you start to realize like, Oh, it's because I'm following all these people who are modified and not being real with like how they got there and stuff. There'll come a point where people will start looking for like a little bit more wholesome folks that they can connect with and be like, Oh, this dude like has a relatable physique, but he's like still strong and like pushing the limits here. Yeah. So dude, like I, I used to have a lot of strong takes there and like I do get pissed off still by certain content, but it's never like that style of content. It's more of like misleading content or like in the context of like barefoot shoes and that's all you need to wear. Like that's the style of content that pisses me off these days because dogmatic. Yeah. It's just not painting the full picture from like a really nuanced contextual point of view of life. Mm -hmm. Um, but in the sense of fitness culture, dude, like going to people, people going to people, man. Like if you want to, fucking run SARMs at 16 and like get jacked and have a sick physique and build a little coaching business. Great. But like fucking make sure you're building like a nice long-term thing. Like that's the big consequences. (laughs) Yeah. Like just make sure you're doing something that's like going to give you longevity. Yeah. You know, like it's great to get a lot of followers and make a lot of money really fast. But if you're not happy with yourself in five years or being able to take that and then turn it into something that will last in five years, like, cool but just make sure you understand that you know yeah. it always comes with a cost if you're gonna sink that much into one vertical etc but i'm sorry i'm not more interested here dude like i, I just i don't <laughs> have that many good. strong takes and i truthfully think that's because i think i've gotten more confidence with my business and like what yeah. i stand for that i just don't give a fuck what other people yeah. are doing like yeah stay you, in your lane focus on you exactly i yeah. try to and like there are times when the negativity does take if you follow me on instagram like <laughs> You're like, yeah, I see some negative stuff from you here and there. Like, there will be times when I blow up. Yeah, but, yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, like, I think when I'm level and when I'm just kind of like, yeah, I'm just doing my thing. Like, that's kind of where I stand, where people going to people, if they want to fucking put their body through extremes, if they want to try to build their business as fast as they can in a way that might not have long legs, like, let them. It doesn't affect me by any means. Mm-hmm. One last thing I wanted to ask you was, you know, it could be personally, it could be with that fit friend. What are some, like, the big audacious or at least imminent goals that you have for the brand because i know you mentioned okay you're not focused on delegating it or scaling it to to something insanely large but i'm sure like you mentioned with your lifting you have goals for things so you know what what are some focus points you have for this year with growing the brand and and your uh, persona in general so it's a good question and right now the main goal is to just continue doing what I'm doing. Like solidify it. I don't have like these grandiose traffic or subscriber goals because that can be very misleading when it comes to like the actual health of the business. And also if you do that, you're kind of at the whims of social platforms, Google search engines, when it comes to how you're defining your success. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it'd be cool. Like the site right now is sitting around like 400 to 500,000 traffic a month. Like, sure. It'd be cool to double that in a year. Does that fucking matter though? 
when it comes to revenue yeah probably a little bit but at the same time like if revenue is consistent and slowly growing mm -hmm. like traffic can be misleading so it's like i used to have like traffic goals and i kind of mm -hmm. learned like it's more healthy for me just to be like I'm just going to keep doing and building really good content and doing my thing because that will slowly uptick in this nice linear path if I do it the right way. And when it comes to like things like YouTube and stuff, sure. I could say like, okay, I'm at like 15 K subs now, like the goal will be 20 by the end of the year. Mm -hmm. But like, that's also arbitrary yeah. because if the community is really strong at a lower subscriber account, like I don't care about a bigger, uh, a bigger following. And like, it wasn't always like that for me, but it's now taking the shape and form where I care more about the nice slow organic growth and that's kind of the goal is to just keep on chipping away and having that grow nice and slowly versus having like big grandiose 2023 goals. Yeah. And it might be a little bit like not how most folks think about their businesses, but it's how I do it to make myself one healthier on a daily basis and not be so stressed yeah. about things that I can't necessarily control like traffic, mm -hmm. like fucking Google updates, like algorithm updates. Um, so I think as long as TF2 just keeps growing and the community just keeps really engaging with the content and enjoying it, it will start to take its own form anyways if you just listen to that community when it comes to what that evolution looks like. Yeah. And that will lead to more growth. Um, so for TF2, man, main goal is to just keep chipping away. Keep yeah. building, keep fucking interacting with people, keep trying to be a human on social media and not yeah. being a total piece of garbage. Um, and then when it comes to personal life, like I think the main goal is to learn to balance a little bit more freedom with the business building. Because I mentioned like I'm trying to appreciate that freedom a little bit more and not get sucked into like doing more, more, more. Mm -hmm. But there's still a lot of work I can do. Like even on days where I am like kind of like chilling and like kind of fucking off because I've done a ton of work and I'm like, okay, I need a break. Like there is always that undertone of like, you should be doing something. Mm -hmm. So I think my main goal this year with my personal space and mental health is being more comfortable with still fighting off that like kind of like anti-scale, scale, scale well, so mindset. Maybe this will maybe be a good like advice or, th or thought experiment for you. One thing that I've thought about and way I've pivoted a little bit, because as I mentioned, I, I still have that same bug and it's an, it's an evil bug of just constant. You should be doing something, work, work, work. And, uh, you know, especially with being a freelancer, I'm so used to working literally every day and it, it, sometimes it's not that many hours but it's still this process of everyday working and when I don't have a day I'm not working I feel like you know weird I feel wrong but one thing I've been able to do that satisfies the urge but still grants me free time and fulfillment is find different ways of productive development in a sense so like for example you know reading for me has been something that you know I was never a big reader but adding in that is it's something I can do personally it's not time demanded there's no like or time restricted or anything like that or time focused it's not uh, meeting a deadline it's not financially incentivized but it's time for me to kind of fulfill my own exploration but it, it and ha have fun and relax but at the same time it's still a stimulating some sense of development and, and productivity in a sense i mean of course it depends what you're reading if you're reading like self-help books maybe you're stressing yourself um but uh, in, that's just an example. It could be more getting into more uh, outdoor stuff, or getting into more of your, your, your you know, your uh, your truck, and and getting more into, uh, yeah, just the things that you like to do in free time. Putting more, I guess, attention. I don't know where I'm going with that, but does that make any sense? <laughs> yeah, it, make, it makes sense, and like, I get what you're yeah. saying. Rather but... than like just. I mean, because I, I imagine you're not alluding to, okay, I just need more free time to just like watch Netflix. You are transitioning it into more adventures or passion. Yes? 
to an extent yeah but like also like i love video games yeah like yeah those aren't really necessarily developmental so what i've done to actually kind of counter this is because like for most weekends i try to take fully off unless there's a new shoe coming out and i want to get up something fast Mm -hmm. like i try to take weekends fully off from work even from posting on social sometimes yeah and the way i've been able to do that is like I'll make a point to sprint certain days of the week and I'm like, okay, I'm gonna work 12 hours today. So I have content to like schedule out yeah. and it's like, cool. Like now I don't really have to post because technically I am posting, but I'm not necessarily having to be online to do that because yeah. I've done that work early on. So that's been something that I've enjoyed because to your point, like I think when I say like free up more mental space to not have to work and like be a little bit more free, mm-hmm. like, dude, if I want fucking to do nothing like i want to sit on the couch and do nothing you know like i don't necessarily want that itch to always try to be developing something because there's so much of that i think going on in my week to week that there are times when i just want to fucking play runescape for like eight hours a day and like do nothing and literally just be like sunday i'm not doing shit i'm gonna eat whatever i want and i'm gonna fucking play video games all day yeah well i think it's important for me personally to remember everyone is like wired differently so you know you you'll you'll view You'll view free timers. Everyone has their own um, discretion and their own, uh, how would I put this, thresholds of what is, you know, too much work or how they want to spend their free time. Everyone's different, basically is what I'm saying. And in a more complicated than it needs to be way, everyone's different. Everyone wants to spend their free time differently. And um, uh, just because I have I have a very hard time with, with doing absolutely nothing and doing nothing actually brings me unhappiness someone else it might bring them more happiness you know what i mean i guess that's a way of putting it it's not it's not purely the idea of like i feel like i'm doing something wrong by not being productive but i'm actually i i get more unhappy or more anxious by not doing something and everyone's again wired different maybe it's adhd maybe it's you know just again like a a big hobbyist or whatever uh, or not feeling like you have enough time to do all the things you want to do because life is short as you mentioned um but that's that's my ramble on it 100 (laughs) percent. like i i I can already sense like when i say that you're like oh my fucking god like i would lose my mind well yeah i played i played 12 hours of runescape and i don't judge you on one day tell me how that makes you feel you're probably like oh my god no dude the the funny (laughs) thing is i love video games i love them but I got to a point, and again, fully respect what you do. Like, I have no gripe with that. Everyone, like, lived their life how they want to do. But, like, I got to the point with video games where I was like, I, you know, a new game comes out next year. Or, you know, I know some games like RuneScape or you know, GTA, they're out for, like, a decade almost. But, you know, I got to the point where I'd play this, and I'm like, well, what do I have to show for it? Like, it's a fun experience. Just like watching a movie, right? We all need entertainment. We all need things that are, like, that don't have to lead to a financial incentive because that's that's stuff we can talk about. It's stuff you can experience and, and share, and it's life, right? You want experiences. Um, but at the same time, with video games specifically for me, I would look at it and be like, okay, I just spent, you know, 40 hours, 60 hours this year on NBA 2K15. Next year, the new game comes out. I'm never going to play that game again. What did I get out of those hours? So it's, again, something everyone has to define and, and evaluate for themselves. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. if we're going to talk video games, RuneScape is an ongoing game. And so exactly. what I get it's out very of it different. is it's different. I'm building my bank. I'm killing motherfuckers in the yeah. wild. Like I'm having, <laughs> I'm having a good time and I'm building yeah. my, uh, my loot, my loot yeah. tab. But yeah, yeah I, I totally get what you're saying, yeah. dude. Um, just different strokes for exactly. different folks. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, to wrap things up, uh, where can people find you? Um, obviously, the website and the YouTube, you know, where are those at and where personally? Yeah, on YouTube, That Fit Friend. Um, website, That Fit Friend. And then on Instagram, I have a That Fit Friend page, but it's pretty small. Like, I just post product stuff there, but my yeah. main page is Jake underscore B O L Y. 
Um, if you subscribe to the channel, it helps a ton. I'm not going to ask you to watch every video or engage yeah. with every video because ain't nobody got time for that. But at some point, if I do create any content that helps you out, just, you know, give it a like or whatever or if, else. Or if or, you're curious about a shoe, most likely you have a review on it. Check out your review. 100%. Yeah. And hit me up and ask. And also yeah. for all of the guys listening who are still listening, who are mm-hmm. size 10s, um, I typically mm-hmm. part ways with older models on Instagram. Like you've probably seen my stories. Yeah, yeah. First come, first serve. So if you are a size 10 guy, get in here. I actually did a podcast with Hybrid Performance and we mentioned that. Mm-hmm. And like I probably had like 100 people reach out in a day. And I was like, guys, like I don't have like 100 shoes on hand. Yeah. But like I do have like probably three or four shoes every month that I kind of give yeah. away. So. so reach out to him, reach out to me, whatever yeah. it is, I'll, I'll send you his way. So it'd be probably easier just to reach out to him. I am a size 10, but I, one, I don't need any more shoes. I'm not. I'm not agree like that too. Uh, I feel like I end up wearing like the same two pair. Um, but yeah, it's like that's a it's a, it's a great opportunity to just kind of share the wealth in that sense. Well, dude, I really appreciate you having me yeah, on. Thank you absolutely. so much for the time, and uh, hopefully my opinions didn't turn too many people off. No, or... no, dude. I I love again. It's one of those things where I think good people, or at least you know people that. I feel like I'd like to say I'm I'm mature enough and have grown enough as a person where I could you know look at someone who views the world very different from me in, in different ways and be fully okay with that and appreciate a different perspective. You know what I mean? And and that's what I think you know you bring a lot. Like you know you can be very opinionated, but I think there's this beauty in that. And I think there's a problem with not having strong opinions. I think in a, like today's world we have a lot of people that are just you know what is what am I supposed to say or what yeah. is the cool cool thing to say? And uh, I think that doesn't lead to as much um individual uh, individuality and and just uh yeah personal opinions yeah 100 percent. what do you stand for exactly exactly well if you guys enjoyed the episode please share it follow him check out all the great content he posts um appreciate you guys watching the podcast make sure you subscribe to the show and uh, we'll catch you guys in the next one